nisambolavina ka you listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific go Okoroi Hawkins coming up first this meeting being the first one for Pacific Island leaders to have face to face since before covid preparations for the Pacific Islands forum are well underway in Suva I'm here I'm ready to make the big bold decisions and uh, you know I really hope that our constituency and our community will support me in that. We talanoa to Luana Scowcroft who is aiming to become only the second ever Pacifica councillor for Wellington City. It will affect all other nations as well so eligibility criteria needs to be addressed moving ahead. And the Cook Islands want eligibility rules for league expanded to include great-grandparents. There's just over a week to go until Pacific Islands forum leaders meet in Suva for what is shaping up to be one of the most significant additions of the region-wide meeting in years. Increased geopolitical tension between China and the United States has seen a flurry of diplomatic visits to state capitals over the course of the past month, and work to reunite the forum still needs to be formally concluded after it was nearly split apart over a falling out with Micronesian states who said they felt excluded from its core business agenda. Joining me from Suva is RNZ Pacific's correspondent, Lide Muvono. How are preparations for the leaders' meeting going there in the capital? Well, preparations have uh, really picked up, Corey, with this meeting being the first one for Pacific Island leaders to have face-to-face since before COVID. And so it looks to be uh, one of the most important of the forum leaders' meeting, probably the most important of the last 10 years at least. Um, I think that uh, all of the developments that have been happening in the region uh, this year and and as well uh, from COVID has shaped up the agenda for this meeting. What we're hearing is that aside from the logistical preparations, the teams representing uh, the leaders are meant to be very big teams. So Suva should be very exciting. And some of those key, just going over some of those key issues going into this, um, if you could just outline for us. Well, every year the Pacific Forum Leaders Meeting is usually shaped by what have been the development agenda, the development focus of the region, as well as, of course, the challenges that are common to all of the members of the Pacific Forum countries. Uh, Uh, But as you know, COVID has somewhat changed a lot of uh, what's important to the Pacific Islands as as it is for the rest of the world. So a lot of what's going to be discussed will center around um, the economic uh, um, situation, the economic status, as well as the economic priorities of the forum. They will, of course, now be a much uh, heavier emphasis on security, given that that's been a major issue of the past several years. But uh, what's been happening in the region, particularly in Fiji, from the start of this year, with all of the different uh, foreign visits to Fiji, um, has also uh, shaped the agenda. We know that the regional uh, pact that the People's Republic of China uh, wants with the countries of the Pacific that it has relationships with uh, may be an agenda. But of course, I think the the most important agenda of this forum leaders meeting is um, the Micronesian states, the um, exit that has now been avoided. It is meant to get signed and formalized, uh, the agreement of the the member states of uh, the Micronesian um, block. It's meant to be finalized at this particular forum leaders meeting because the Micronesian states have asked for a lot. And Mm -hmm. Fiji, as the chair of the forum, has negotiated a deal that gives them a lot and that uh, averts the, you know, the disunity and, and crisis that was confronting 
the forum. So that's going to be a very important uh, part of the leaders meeting that we should be looking out to. Uh, however, at the same time, this will be the first time for the Solomon Islands Prime Minister Songovare to front up to the forum and face the questions uh, that'll come from some of the leaders in the region uh, who, are, who would like to know what this deal with China will mean for the Solomon Islands. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm not sure if you can say much. This is one of the elephants in the room will be the USP saga. Um, still Fiji not funding, uh, uh, not reinstating its funding for the USP regional university, obviously. Do you think it might be something that's put in the too hard basket this forum? It most definitely will be one of the, the, the priorities of many of the, the major countries coming into this forum leaders meeting. Uh, as you know, Fiji has not paid its dues with a tab running into the millions of, of the past several years. And with Samoa having offered the University of the South Pacific's vice chancellor uh, a home, so to speak, in Samoa, that is definitely something that's going to be an important part of this leaders meeting as well, because that particular arrangement has not been um, formalized eh? and it's meant to be uh, part of the conversation uh, at this forum leaders meeting. Uh, we know as well that there's been pressure from the other Pacific countries uh, for Fiji to pay up its dues or at least explain why it hasn't. Yeah and, and we know the at the last forum in Tuvalu there was a bit of quite a bit of Ajibaji, to, to put it that way, in terms of how the meetings were structured, there's been some change to try and avoid some of that this time I'm hearing. Yes, that's right. I've spoken with quite a few uh, leaders of uh, the diplomatic corps here in Fiji, as well as uh, several of the uh, heads of states. And just in this week, uh, have, I've, I've spoken with some of the Pacific diplomats uh, based here. And what I'm hearing is uh, there's major changes to the format of the meeting. So uh, one of the important parts of the meeting was um, what's called a um, dialogue partners segment or a dialogue, uh, a donor partners meeting where all of the diplomatic missions from the West and the East that are represented um, in the Pacific get to meet with um, the leaders of the Pacific Island Forum meeting. And so uh, that means meetings with, with uh, the Troika, which is the immediate past chair of the forum, the current chair, as well as um, the, the incoming chair. Um, also, there is usually um, observer status given uh, to uh, partners, let's call it that. Uh, but what I have, what I'm hearing is that that's not going to be done at this particular forum leaders meeting. Now, the Pacific Islands Forum Secretary itself has not been very forthcoming as to the details of this meeting. But uh, we've I've now picked up information confirmation from several sources in both the diplomatic corps as well as in the civil society uh, uh, community here in Fiji that it, um, the steps have been taken to uh, reduce tension or reduce the risk of tension. Uh, I know as well that um, a CSO, the CSO component of the Pacific Island Forum Leaders Meeting has been reduced in terms of the time that the leaders actually have with the CSO community, as well as the number of CSO reps actually invited to be part of this particular segment. So um, I think it's uh, safe to say that the Pacific Islands Forum Secretariat is taking into consideration COVID protocols that still exist in some of the Pacific um, Forum member countries, uh, but also maybe uh, dealing with possible tensions uh, that may arise given recent geopolitical movements in the Pacific.
Cook Islander Luana Scowcroft is hoping to become the Wellington City Council's only second ever Pacific councillor after this year's local body elections. The first and only Pacifica councillor to date is Samoan Tala Cleverly, who, when she was first elected in 1979, was also the first Pacifica person elected to local government anywhere in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Her long tenure ran through to 1995, during which she focused on helping Pacific people living in Wellington to have a voice in the community. This year, Lorna Scowcroft, who is the Green Party candidate for Te Motukairangi Eastern Ward, is seeking to emulate her only peer, saying she loves Wellington with a passion and wants to help create a city that puts its people first. She joins me now. Nisambulubinaka, Lorna, welcome on Pacific Waves. Please start by telling us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, kia ora kuru e, uh, ko Luana Scowcroft tēnei. Um, I hail from the beautiful island of Rarotonga um, and I'm speaking to you today uh, from the lovely suburb here in Te Tara of Hataitai. Um, why, why, why council? What, what, what's got you interested in running, running for council in Wellington? Well, I've moved back here to Pōneke um, about three years ago from Rarotonga and I've always been really interested in um, in service and, you know, making sure that we have the best possible community around all of our people. Um, and that includes obviously making sure our environment is taken care of, um, thinking about, you know, future generations, thinking about the implications on them um, in terms of climate change. And coming back to Wellington, I was, I was really, um, you know, I love the city and I was actually really saddened uh, because you know, I saw this is an amazing place for some people to live, uh, but not everybody. And, you know, looking across the, the mutu, looking across Aotearoa, these are kind of the challenges that are happening everywhere. Um, and I was kind of astounded the more I started looking into, um, you know, kind of local elections. It's not the, the sexy uh, part of politics, but, um, you know, this impacts on us every single day, arguably more than the decisions that are made in parliament. And so I thought, you know, I looked around at who was representing us and I thought, actually, to be honest, I think I can do a better job. And there's uh, quite a startling fact that you've come across in, in pursuing this in terms of how many Pacific Island people have actually represented uh, us on the Wellington City Council. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I think we're going through a bit of a Pacific wave at the moment, which is amazing with Ephesel Collins running in Auckland for mayor. We've got the amazing uh, Renee Dingwall, who's one of the councillors in Palmy North. Um, and look, a few other awesome people around the Mutu. Um, but here in Wellington, you know, we, first of all, uh, in 2016, we elected our first ever Wahine Māori onto Wellington City Council. Um, and yeah, it, it blows my mind. Um, but actually, the more I started looking into it, and obviously with my Pacific background, I was, you know, really interested to see who I could learn from and who I could look to, who's already represented on the council, represented our Pacific communities. And I've only been able to find one instance um, of uh, Pacific Islander on Wellington City Council, um, and that is the amazing Tala Cleverly. Uh, and Tala was the first uh, Pacific Islander, the first Pacific woman on any council in Aotearoa, uh, representing at a local body level. And she served from 1979 to 1995. So that's service. She did a good innings. Um, and, you know, since then, I understand she's 
you know, really set up a lot of community networks for Pacific. She's represented on, um, you know, advising the council and things like that since then. But the only instance of a Pacific Islander in Wellington City Council is one, one woman. So I thought, do you know what? I'll uh, take this into my own hands and I'll throw my hat in the ring too. Now you've got a, a launch event this weekend. Uh, tell us a bit about that and a bit about your, your campaign as well. I feel very lucky. I feel very blessed to um, have been selected by the Green Party to be their candidate for uh, the Eastern Ward here in Wellington City Council. And that area is largely coastal. Um, that's where I live. Obviously, I can connect to that as a Pacific person as well. I'm really excited. Uh, on Saturday, I've got my campaign launch and people from you know all around our community. I've invited community business leaders um, and obviously our Cook Islands community have really, really come to support me. Um, and so they're going to be coming tomorrow. I'm hoping we're going to have a little bit of string band, maybe a little bit of kaikai, a little bit of ura, um, and maybe show, you know, the people of, of the East, our community and our spirit and what's driving me to run for council. And and obviously, uh, as with all politics, you are representing ev- everyone. Um, what's, what's some of your, talk through some of your maybe policy ideas or visions for your role for Wellingtonians? I, so really, I guess there's two, two big drivers for me. Um, the first one is, uh, you know, decisions that we make really have to be made through both a climate change lens um, and a tetiriti or waitangi lens. I think for too long, uh, some of these decisions have been really short-term decisions, not looking at our next generation, not looking at population growth, not looking at what's going to happen to especially our coastal areas here in Puneke. So I want to ensure, first and foremost, that those two things are the lenses through which we make decisions. I want to make our council more accountable there's been heaps of decisions that have been made uh, recently that our communities aren't happy with and by you know communities across the board whether that's business uh cultural communities our renting uh folks here in wellington and actually you know we need to make the bold decisions and we need to be accountable to the people who voted us in um, for those decisions so that's really important to me I've got my daughters here. I'm raising them here in Wellington. I want to make sure that the city they inherit is the best it can be. We're not, you know, creating more problems for them than uh, than solutions at this point. So those are big things for me. I'm here. I'm ready to make the big, bold decisions. And, uh, you know, I really hope that our constituency and our community will support me in that. Um, you know, if I'm going to ask anything of our listeners today, um, I just ask you to vote, you know, local body, it's not the the most uh, exciting, sexy thing. Um, and a lot of us are, are fairly disengaged from it. You know, it's kind of, it's a, it's an old rich white man's game traditionally. And, um, you know, we've got some amazing people from all around New Zealand who are putting their hands up and, and going into to make some of these decisions and to represent you. So um, all you need to do, go to vote.nz. You can make sure um, your details are all right in there. And then they're just going to post you your forms in September. Fill in your um, your choices, send it back, all done. Cook Islands Rugby League President Charles Carlson says birthright eligibility rules should be expanded in order to improve the quality of the sport in smaller island countries. According to the rules set by the International Rugby League Federation, players can't claim birthrights above their grandparents. Carlson says great-grandparents should be included in the laws. He spoke with RNZ Pacific journalist Finau Fonua, 
who started by asking about the strength of the Cook Islands matchday squad in the recent test against Samoa, in which they were soundly beaten 42-12. to 12. I mean, we only had uh, two NRL players in that squad, so this is a lot more players should be made, uh, make themselves available for the, for the World Cup. And they're playing um, Tonga and, and PNG, and mm. they're, I think they're in striking distance of beating those two teams. Yeah. What what do what do you think the Cook Islands? Ch- um, actually, the last time Cook Islands played Tonga, they very nearly beat them. That was in um, yes. two thousand fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, World Cup qualifying year. Um, what do you think the Cook Island uh, Cook Islands chances are at the World Cup? Um, given this result, no, no. Every every nation's ever have a chance will will come down to to the day. I mean, we have our. Um, our goal to make sure that uh, we finish off on on the top eight, and uh, realizing that we do have a tough tough pull with uh, PNG and um, Tonga and uh, and Wales, but um, be, uh, like every every other team, we're confident uh, that uh, you know if, if the boys are switched on today, we're capable of beating both uh, PNG and Tonga. Um, after that game with um, uh, with Samoa, what do you think went wrong in that game? Um, uh, well, I, I think we, we we didn't have the, uh, the, you know, the the maturity of of the players. They're pretty very young squad, and um, uh, I think one one thing that uh, they highlighted is um, is the caliber of the of the someone squad, which is full full NRL, and um, compared to our squad, which is pretty much a cup uh, cup uh, cup level. And uh, but despite despite that, uh, you know there were so players that that stood up and uh, wanted to make the final squad of the, of the affordable cup, and um, I mean they they did play their their heart out, but uh, at the end of the day, it just just comes down to the caliber of of players, um, you know at at that level of competition. So for us to be competitive, uh, you know we got to make sure that we have our, our top players available for the World Cup. The Cook Islands is is the smallest nation entering this World Cup. Um, could you describe how how much it means for these players and and for the Cook Islands rugby, for the Cook Island people to have a team um, representing them at, at a sporting yeah. competition like this? No, it's it's a privilege, uh, you know, for us uh, being the smallest nation at this um, at this World Cup, and uh, of course our disadvantages is having a small population and a small pool of players. So if if certain players are unavailable due to injury or other commitments and got picked by New Zealand or Australia, you know, that's a disadvantage to us. But um, yeah, despite that, uh, you know, we were quite pleased to, to manage to assemble a squad uh, in the Pacific Test and uh, to represent the, the Cook Islands at this um, international level. And, uh, of course, uh, just, just looking at the comments from, from our people, how proud they are. Uh, despite the um, the score against Samoa, you know, which is, as, as we know, is... Um, is a pretty strong team in in the region, and uh, we 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 held our our um, uh, our place in in that uh, in the competition. But unfortunately, um, Samoa was was too good on the day. But uh, yes, for Cook Islands to be represented, not not only the men and you know, even even the women to have two squads, uh, two teams at the World Cup is, um, is is an achievement in itself for the Cook Islands. About the the pay, are, are all the teams getting? I. I... I think I read somewhere that the the I don't know if this is true, but that mm. they were making the pay equal for all the teams. 
uh, yes, um, all, all donations that um, that's going to uh, the World Cup is is equal, but then that doesn't stop uh, other other nations sort of uh, in increasing their their pay uh, for you know, for their players as well. So I guess it's come down to each nation uh, how much they can afford to to pay for their players, but the contribution from the international uh, players will be standard right across the uh, right across the nations. Um, you, you spoke about the challenges to Cook Islands rugby. What, what's the biggest challenge um, to to rugby league in the Cook Islands? I, I think the the biggest uh, challenge for us, if we're looking at international competition, is the um, is the eligibility uh, to to represent the nation. I mean, for us, it's hugely disadvantaged the Cook Islands because of our small population. Uh, if you look at the eligibility, it only allows uh, a player. Um, to sort of uh, goes back to his parents or or grandparents, uh, you know, must be born in the islands. But being a, a small island nation, that sort of limits uh, players' availability. Uh, uh, I mean, for us, it should be included uh, uh, great grandparents or great great grandparents, as long as as you can um, uh, trace your your relations back to that. Um, you know, do your great grandparents? Uh, yeah, you're a Cook Islander. You know, we we didn't quite agree with the definitions given by International Federation. So that's something we actually uh, uh, going to propose uh, to the International Federation to address this issue with uh, with eligibility. Then that will at least provide us with a wider uh, wider access to to a lot more players rather than than just being limited to a small pool of players. Uh, I don't think we just affect the Cook Islands; it will affect all other nations as well. So, uh, eligibility uh, criteria is uh, certainly needs, needs to be addressed uh, moving ahead. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Nakawakalevu, Modemanda.